We'll turn to Matthew 28. And then we'll also look in the back of our hymnals at the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's page 936. First, let's read God's holy word. This is uh, God's holy and infallible word in Matthew 28, starting verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we'll look at section 2 of chapter 28 of baptism. And this flows largely from Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. The outward element to be used in this sacrament is water wherewith the party is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. And then we'll look at section 3 in a little bit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand this, your holy word, and also the, help us to grow in our understanding of the confession, this, uh, what we believe to be a faithful summary of what your scriptures teach. Help us to understand and to think um, that we would let your word define how we are to understand um, the meaning of baptism and the richness of baptism, and especially to grow in our understanding of the Holy Trinity, uh, which is uh, here given uh, as a teaching of, of how we are to implement baptism according to your holy word. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I strongly believe that there is a lot of unnecessary and divisive rebaptizing going on in central Louisiana and in many parts of the world. Now, I'm not talking about my opinion of um, when somebody has, goes to a Baptist church and they, they say, well, you weren't baptized in the proper mode because you were sprinkled or you had pouring upon you or you weren't baptized as an adult, um, you need to be baptized as either an adult or a, a believing young person who can give consent and a profession of faith. Now, I, kinda, I understand that. That doesn't really get me too upset. But what I think is an absolute, total nonsense from church leadership is when we have Christians who say that baptism, according to the Great Commission given by Jesus here must be done again because it's not the correct formula did the blessed lord jesus get it all wrong didn't jesus say here baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit now this what i'm talking about here is a strange practice that arises from a radical weird interpretation of Peter's Pentecost sermon 
And the, the verse in question here is, is listed in your outline, Acts 2.38, wherein Peter concluded his Acts sermon and said this, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, according to um, Matthew 28, the glorious name or title, the Son of God, isn't that the same person as Jesus Christ? A person baptized in this, the, the name of the Son of God, that title is the title of, for the person Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and the Son of God is Jesus Christ. The part of the problem, I believe here, why they say baptisms have to be redone, because it's done in, according to uh, um, the way that they disapprove, is because they really have a problem with the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. They don't like the fact that someone is baptized in accordance with the, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Therefore, uh, some, which are called Oneness Pentecostals, deny this doctrine because of a heresy known as modalism or Sabellianism. Um, they say that God can only be one person acting at a time, and that's whenever they read Trinitarian passages, that's how they interpret it. Um, let's let's kind of go through a, a, an understanding of how they might look at the Bible. When they see the God of the Old Testament. They say that's the Father. Now when Jesus is born and comes into the picture, God then changes his mode as the Son of God, or Jesus Christ. So God is acting in the mode of Jesus Christ. I guess from his birth till his uh, burial and resurrection and ascension. And then somehow, I guess after Jesus ascends uh, into heaven, he'll, he then changes mode and then Jesus is no longer Jesus, but God then acts in the mode of the Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost. And then God is forever in the, in the mode of Pentecost. And um, I'm not too sure about this one, but um, when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, I guess he goes back to the mode of Jesus. Um, I don't know what they think of Revelation and the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Is, is God forever going to be in the mode of Jesus as the light of the new heavens and new earth? Um, I guess the Holy Spirit will never exist anymore. It will be only Jesus uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. It's really weird. It's really weird. Um, according to um, one source, and actually this is uh, from Theopedia, if you ever want to look up... Uh, some good information. It's a very trustworthy little resource on the internet. Theopedia has a lot of historical stuff and also good definitions and a lot of reform stuff as well. It says that modalism was condemned by Tertullian in the approximate uh, year 213. It's also known as Sabellianism, and it was condemned as heresy by Dionysius, Bishop of Rome, around the year 262. So it doesn't matter what the church fathers say. It doesn't matter what the church has established as orthodox doctrine. Let's reinvent the Bible and go back to modalism is what the practice, I believe, is. A key passage um, that helps us to show that modalism is total nonsense is Matthew 3. 
Let's turn there to Matthew 3. And that's actually the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, um, answering, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting or resting upon him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so modalism says that God only acts in one mode at a time. But here, we have Jesus in the water, being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit uh, descending and, and lighting or resting upon him. And it says here, um, in, the, in the form of a dove, descending as a dove and resting upon him. So you have the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you have the Father speaking from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So what mode is God in in this instance? It doesn't make sense, modalism. Especially when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Well, how can you be in different modes if you and the Father are one? I believe the real problem um, for this sort of error in Christianity is people stay stuck in one book of the Bible, um, or a few, maybe a few books in the Bible. They love Corinthians, and they love First uh, and Second Corinthians, and they love uh, the book of Acts. But apart from that, they don't really study a great deal of what the rest of the Bible says. You actually could disprove modalism even from the, interpret the right interpretation of Old Testament prophecies concerning who Jesus or who the Messiah would be. Who the Messiah would be. Um, but again, I don't have too much time I can spend on that. Another matter of error of the oneness Pentecostals, I believe, of that teaching is that they would say that receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit as an evidence of speaking in tongues is essential for salvation. Now, the reason why I believe they would say so many do not have the gift of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues uh, given at Pentecost is because they didn't get the prescription of the proper baptism from Pentecost. So th this proper prescription of baptism according to Pentecost is how you get the gift of Pentecost, namely the speaking in tongues. It seems logical to me. But what's a, a serious problem with this is that we as Reformed Protestant believers who try to teach what the Bible teaches, we say that faith alone in Jesus Christ is what saves. Faith alone is what gives us justification. Ephesians 2.8 It's by faith you have been saved. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Okay? Now, of, of course, we're saved for the purpose or that God would make 
us holy and that it's for the purpose of good works that we would shine as lights for the kingdom but we're the instrument in which we're saved is by faith alone but not so with the oneness pentecostals you have to add certain things to salvation to be saved you have to speak in tongues you have to have this what they would say is the true gift of the holy spirit to be saved now let's look at a contrary verse a verse that also describes the true Bible, the true uh, gospel according to the Bible, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your, with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I know we talked about, in times past, six-day creation. I know we talked about, you know, believing that God created versus evolution. But the Bible here does not say that you must believe those things to be saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also does not say that you must speak in tongues to be saved, does it? Where is a verse in the Bible that says you must speak in tongues to be saved? It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, the, another problem is that they would say that the gift of the Holy Spirit is evidence in speaking in tongues. Well, what about Galatians 5? Galatians 5 does not include tongues here. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Isn't it? Section 2 concludes by saying that a person must be baptized by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. So let's say a person's baptized... Um, the person who baptized you later on denies the faith or falls into great sin and leaves the, leaves the church, does that invalidate your baptism? No. The question is, were they a person who was a minister of the gospel, lawfully called thereunto, during the time in which they baptized you? Now, I asked my professors this and I couldn't get a good answer, but concerning this section... What about a person baptized by a woman or by an openly gay minister from a liberal denomination or a rather loose evangelical denomination? Would that baptism be valid? You could argue that from the confession that it would not because a woman minister is someone who's not lawfully called thereunto and a gay minister, an openly gay minister, is not a person who is lawfully called thereunto either because both cases would not be lawful ordinations to the ministry. Um, section 3. It says, Dipping of the person into water is not necessary, but bapti baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling uh, water upon the person. Now, I heard a minister in the OPC say this, that this section is not an absolute prohibition against having someone immersed. But I don't particularly know an OPC minister who said, well, the person was really convicted about immersion, therefore we immersed 
but it does, he's saying that this section is not an absolute uh, hard, cold, and fast prohibition against immersion. It's just saying that, according to Scripture, the right method, it, according to the Westminster Divines or the Westminster Assembly, is pouring or sprinkling. Now, those who are opposed to pouring and sprinkling would say that, oh, how could you? How could you pour or sprinkle a person? Because don't you know that this word baptizo uh, in, in the Bible always means to immerse? And that is the stark argument against pouring and sprinkling. They would say that the Greek word and the forms of this Greek word baptizo always undoubtedly means immersion, um, dipping, submerging, submerging uh, uh, having someone submerged in water completely. But I have a couple of passages here I want us to look at. <clears throat> the first one here is Luke 11, and this is again in your outline. Luke eleven thirty seven 37 and following. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him, asked Jesus, to have lunch with him and went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. In other words, this Pharisee was livid and upset that, um, that Jesus Christ would dare to eat without ceremonially washing first. Well, um, the point I have here is that this word ceremonially washed is baptizo. It's a form of baptizo. It's a, it, it has the root word baptizo. So this, this verse alone proves that baptizo does not always mean immersion. Because I'm pretty sure that the Pharisee and the others did not submerge, uh, completely get under the water right before having a meal every single time. It, again, ceremonially washed is one way to translate baptizo. Another passage is in from Mark 7, 3 and, 3 and 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. Again, this is not the, tradition, this is not the law of God, but a tradition. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they cleansed themselves. Um, there are many other things which they had received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now, the word cleanse in verse 4 can be translated, um, actually, I think it's a cleanse there can be translated as sprinkle or wash. The Greek word for washing in verse 4 is a derivative of baptizo. Now, just to keep in mind, we don't come across these very often, but there is a textual variant here. The uh, New King James and the King James come from a Greek text called the Texas Receptus. And according to that text, there's a word here um, which would be better translated as dining couches. So, uh, the ESV translated, translates it as tables. And I do agree more with the, uh, the Texas Receptus here. But think about it. They were cleansing, ceremonially cleansing everything before they ate. Cups, pots, pitchers, dining couches. Could you imagine sub having a, a whole couch and just dipping the whole couch in water 
I don't think they had enough water in, in that part of the world to be dipping couches in water before having a meal. What they did was they sprinkled it for a ceremonial cleansing. So again, this is a, a chief passage that it argues against baptizo, always meaning a total dipping under water. Um, 1 Corinthians 10 is a passage I want us to look at. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians 10 next. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. Um, Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Key here is that it says all were baptized into Moses. This is a, you could say, one of the first baptisms, right? Well, this obviously cannot mean immersion because none of the Israelites were immersed in water. They passed through on dry land through the sea. They went through the waters, but they were not immersed. Uh, thank God they were not immersed because those who were immersed, the Egyptians, died because they were drowned in the sea. So thank God this here does not mean immersion. Um, I do want to read one um, section from G.I. Williamson. Um, if you want to look at it and you have this book, it's, on, it's his uh, Westminster Confession of Faith for Study Classes. And this is uh, page 272. He says, in Hebrews 9.10... We read that under the Old Testament ceremonial law, there were various washings. And that there is a derivative of baptizo. But the book of Hebrews reminds us that these consisted of the sprinkling of the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews 9.13 The sprinkling of the book and all the people. Hebrews 9.19 the sprinkling of the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry, 921. In other words, we are told that various Old Testament ceremonial acts of cleansing were not performed by immersion, but nonetheless, they were baptisms. How then could the term baptizo mean immersion? In Acts 1.5, we read the promise of Christ to the disciples, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then in Acts 2, we find the fulfillment of the promise. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they appeared to them with divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. When the people uh, thought that they were drunk, Peter said, they are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass... In those days, God says, I will pour, not immerse, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and I will pour out my spirit in those days. To be baptized with the spirit was to have it poured out upon them, upon the disciples, not for them to be immersed into the spirit. So again, it is clear that baptism does not mean immersion. 
This does not prove that baptism was never uh, administered by the mode of immersion, although it cannot be proved that it was in any single instance in Scripture either. I had the word either. It does not prove that the term baptizo, this does prove that the term baptizo does not mean immersion. It does not mean immersion any more than it means sprinkling or pouring. And I do agree with that. Now, key here, if you get anything from this message, key here is don't let someone trip you up regarding the issue of baptism. That, you have to add something. In other words, your baptism was not good enough. You need a different baptism so then you can have something else that you do, some other sign to show that you are truly saved. That would be the absolute worst. But as well, uh, Scripture when we look at it carefully in many situations, um, it does change our mind regarding the understanding of some key words concerning the issue of, of baptism. And if you've been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus said to do. And really, being baptized in the name of the Son is the same as being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's really being both baptized into Jesus, isn't it? Let's pray together. We thank you for your holy gospel, and we thank you for this holy sacrament of baptism. Lord, we thank you that you have um, given it unto us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to heed your word, to understand and to believe, and especially help us to trust that our salvation is only rooted in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding and also um, to help us to be faithful witnesses of what you've done for us through Jesus our Lord. Help us to bless your holy name uh, in remembering, Lord, your goodness to us and the gift of the gospel through Christ our Lord. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. For a hymn of dedication, again, I want to thank Ethan for helping out tonight. And he picked this last hymn, Be Still My Soul. Uh, let's stand and sing uh, 532, Be Still My Soul.